This is the Game Day on Rocky Top Podcast, episode 157. I'm Joel Hollingsworth, and as always, I am uh, joined by Will Shelton. The Vols are uh, coming off a bye week this week, and uh, Saturday night they are hosting number three Georgia uh, in Neyland Stadium. I think that's at uh, 7 on ESPN, if I uh, remember correctly. Uh, last Good, good. Last year, the... Uh, the Georgia game, if I remember right, was actually sort of the first glimpse of some degree of hope. It was the one where uh, after the game, Jeremy Pruitt got all choked up because it was right. the first time he'd seen fight out of his guys. Uh, and we're kind of hoping for something similar uh, this season. Hope has been hard to find in 2019 so far. So we're hoping to see sort of the first glimpse of glimpse of something that will uh, make us believe that uh, the whole thing isn't just going down the toilet. Um, but here's the thing: uh, they could have, they could have had the best bye week ever. They could actually be improved. They could actually be better, and they might still look worse just because they're playing the number three team in the country. So I know we just played number nine, Florida, but I think there's a world of difference between number nine, Florida and number three, Georgia. So let me start there. Will, uh, do you agree with that statement? How much, uh, if so, how much better do you think uh, the Georgia Bulldogs are than the Florida Gators this year? I do agree with that statement. Uh, So I think Notre Dame is an interesting piece of this puzzle. Um, How good do we think Notre Dame is? I, I think pretty good. Uh, I yeah. think Notre Dame was a weird spot last week coming off of uh, a loss in Athens that was really important to him and playing a feisty Virginia bunch yeah. that uh, hit some plays in the first half, did some good things, <clears throat> and Notre Dame still just took care of business in the second half and, and really turned them away. So I think that's the mark of you know good program. Brian Kelly's had it rolling there for a long time now. So I, I think Notre Dame's pretty pretty solid. So I think that means Georgia is even more solid. And the best information we have on the Gators is uh, Miami and Tennessee teams that don't particularly look great and a Kentucky team that looks worse each week. Some of that is a quarterback issue there too. But uh, so uh, listen, by kickoff, we can answer that question much better because you're going to get Florida against the team that has the best resume of anyone in the country right now at 330. So uh, Auburn will tell us quite a bit. That does create a bad scenario for Tennessee. If Auburn steamrolls the Gators and then Georgia steamrolls us, uh, that's not a fun Saturday. <laughs> and the, the, other, the other half of that, really, uh, to go back and say, yes, I, I agree with all this. Tennessee could be better. Tennessee could do a lot of things. And Tennessee could lose to Georgia. Tennessee could not be within 12 points of Georgia in the fourth quarter like they were last year in Athens. Uh, the real kicker here now to me is how bad Mississippi State looked last week because now a game that I don't think anyone has in the old uh, expected win total machine, I don't know that anybody's had that above 50% since Tennessee lost to Georgia State. I mean, the assumption was Mississippi State was really good or at least uh, above average. And, I mean, they just uh, – Auburn decimated them in the first half of that game and, yep. and coasted, I thought, from there. So now, yeah, they scored like what twenty three points or something, uh, but those were those were not real points. I don't. No, think. I mean Auburn was at thirty five in a heartbeat in yeah. that game. So um, now 
the thing I said, I think a couple weeks ago, or maybe even last week on this podcast was, Hey, it's important that Tennessee competes with Mississippi state. Uh, not, not so much to say that that's a must win for anything other than like bowl hopes, but you lose to this Mississippi state team by like 10 or 14 in Neyland stadium. Whew, that looks a lot worse now than it did uh, this time last week. So, mm-hmm. yeah, lots of lots of perception-y stuff that uh, Tennessee <laughs> Tennessee could be better and still look bad this week. And I think Tennessee could even beat Mississippi State at this point and still not necessarily be a whole lot better. So, yeah, uh, yeah I think a lot of this, and I know we're going to talk about the the quarterback situation. A lot of the perception on Tennessee, I think, is going to hinge on how much are they playing Brian Maurer, because if you're if you're making a full switch here, uh, there's no such thing as resetting the clock in a year when you lost to Georgia State in the season opener, but you can you can you can change the narrative a little bit here to now we can at least find out if this guy is going to be a, a live option for Tennessee going forward here in the future. So I don't I don't know how much we're going to see him or if he's going to start or play the whole time or whatever, but yeah, lots of lots of narrative stuff on the line here in a game where no matter which narrative you pick, it's likely that Georgia is going to take care of business. Yeah, we'll get to the quarterback a little bit more here in a minute. But uh, first, I want to say that I'm really interested to see what the robo transcriber uh, thinks of the word perception-y. I might actually call the podcast the perception-y <laughs> podcast because I like that word. So. There's lots. That's one of my favorite things to do each week is go back and read what, what the robo transcriber thinks of uh, all kinds of things. There was a good. I've forgotten what it was, uh, and uh, I, I don't have access to my tablet right at the second to look it up while we're talking here. But there was a good phrase. Uh, something about a women rush or something. A, a five women rush. Well, it was a phrase. No, no, it was a phrase a couple of weeks ago that we kept using, or I think I kept using over and over, and it kept, it kept translating into something different every time. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but I don't remember, so uh, sorry. I promise it was funny. <laughs> All right, read um, the transcript for entertainment and not for. Uh, <laughs> that's for pleasure and not for business. Yeah, I used to go through and correct it all, but you know. Oh, it's, it's way more fun this way. Yes, it is, and it, it takes a lot less time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So. All right, so before we got on, you had mentioned that uh, you were uh, monitoring Twitter because uh, you you still you you still look at Twitter, and I avoid it like a plague. <laughs> so I don't I don't I didn't see this, uh, but something about Fulmer coming out and saying no 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 I'm not gonna I'm not gonna coach, and that comes of course from something we mentioned as nonsense, uh, I think in the last episode, which was from. Thamel at Yahoo, and then I think it, it came up again this week because there was uh, an article by some writer at uh, ESPN with a list of hot seat coaches, and Jeremy Pruitt was first on the list, which, again, is ridiculous. And the thing is, um, they're saying that uh, all of this is just an opportunity for Fulmer to get back on the sideline, which is what he's really wanting to do, his whole goal. Like he's this devious schemer, and it's been his whole plan for 10 years, and he's now just executed it. So anyway, um, you know, the thing is, uh, those, th- those articles quote these sources, you know, but I'm pretty sure that the guy from ESPN's source was Pete Thamel. 
and, <laughs> and, and vice versa. So I, I think what you and I should do right now uh, on record and the podcast is we should, I'm going to tell you that um, Pete Thamel was that ESPN guy's source. So now you can go write an article quoting a source that right. Pete Thamel was that guy's source. So that's the plan. Yeah. I, let me say something about those hot seat rankings before we get to the former thing. I, I get uh, there may not be any more disappointed fan base. Uh, well, disappointment's relative. I, I think the, the line between how we thought things were going to go and how things have actually gone here, I think Tennessee is, is at or near the top of that list. Yeah. These are not the conversations we thought we were going to have about record and about quarterback, which is the position that most impacts your record. So, sure, Tennessee's there. But Can I just time out just on that? So hold that thought and bookmark it. But we always think that because we're uh, – that's what we're paying the most attention to. But Michigan fans got to feel terrible. Uh, Nebraska fans maybe. You know, there's a whole lot of heartache and misery out there on the landscape too. Although I do think we uh, we win that race right now. Yeah, I, I think the, the difference in perception, Tennessee still has a chance to win. The, the disappointment component, I, that's got to be Michigan, right? That Because yeah. that's a team you're, you're thinking about, can we make the college football playoff yep. this year? Yep. Urban's out. Can we beat Ohio State? And not only is the answer no, but wow, Wisconsin, you know, emphatically no. Yep. Uh, that was my favorite line that someone had on Twitter. And I'm sorry, I say this a lot on the podcast, and I can't remember on the fly who it was on Twitter. So kudos to whoever it was on Twitter. When Wisconsin wore the alternate unis the following week with the brown pants that someone said, Wisconsin so thoroughly dominated Michigan that now they're allowed to wear khakis uh, when they play their game. <laughs> I thought that was tremendous, whoever that was. Kudos to that person. Um, so, dis yeah, most disappointed would be a team like Michigan that had – college football playoff aspirations, national championship aspirations fairly legitimately and now has them no longer and might think about, you know, what is the future with this coach perception versus reality. Tennessee's in that conversation of, of how we thought this would go, but all that to say it's ridiculous to have Pruitt number one on your hot seat rankings simply because he's only been here for 16 games. Mm -hmm. I can assure you living in Southwest Virginia that Justin Fuente has a hotter seat than Jeremy Pruitt right now, simply because this is year four for Fuente, and he's not supposed to be getting blown out by Duke at home. So, uh, yeah, that's you, you can say that Tennessee's perception versus reality is worse than Virginia Tech's. I think Virginia Tech didn't wasn't sure what they had, but they were hoping it wasn't this. Uh, whereas Tennessee, we thought we were making progress. And turns out not not yet. But just by the nature of him being the head coach for only 16 games, it's unrealistic to say he's on the hottest seat in America. That's just absurd. He might be next year, but not right now. So on the Fulmer stuff, uh, he's on Vol Calls earlier tonight. We're, we're taping this on Wednesday night. Vol Calls just went off the air. Uh, it's where the best Tennessee information gets passed around. Fulmer would know that. His Vol Calls is, is a very Fulmer, a very Tennessee way to say this. He came on and did the typical AD supportive uh, embattled head coach with, with some specific points about Fulmer saying before Pruitt got here, we didn't know how to practice and that we didn't have any 300 pound guys. And now we know how to practice. And now we have 300 pound guys, a little passive aggressive uh, shot there at Butch Jones, which I think is fine. 
Um, and Fulmer included the saying that the coaching portion of his career, the coaching chapter of his career is closed. Uh, so, uh, I think that's, I think that's fine. I think that's obvious. Uh, sometimes we, we tell ourselves stories long enough that, you know, we, we believe they can come true. I think for, for that narrative of, well, Fulmer wants to show everyone that they were wrong. Isn't that point already made? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I just, I just feel like, uh, and, and look, I'm, I'm still young enough to have a lengthy argument with anyone that wants to have this argument, uh, for people that will say, well, we absolutely still should have fired Fulmer. We just made the wrong choices from there. A little fast and loose with the word absolutely there. Uh, <laughs> I think we, we should not talk about, uh, things being such a sure thing or absolutely the right decision given the length and, and the, the breadth and width and height of our disaster here in the last uh, 11 years and trying to get it fixed. So uh, I, listen, I, I wrote at the time, I thought the guy should have said, you know what, 2009 will be my last season. I, I wasn't Fulmer forever back then or anything like that. I do think some of the historic, the advanced stats stuff like SP plus, if you, turn the page back, look a little more fondly on 2006 and 2007 than we did at the time. And I think that, you know, that inability in 2008 to stop that snowball from rolling down the hill, couldn't get a win to stop the bleeding the way he did in 07 over and over again. All that certainly hurt him. But uh, I, I, I think the point is made. I don't think Fulmer needs to come back and win some games here for yeah. us to say, hey, uh, things were better when you were our head coach. That's a lot of the hope now, right, is things will be better because he's the athletic director. So I think that um, Fulmer is, is doubling down on Pruitt being his guy and that uh, and, and outright saying he is not ever coming back to coach again. So I think that should help close an unnecessarily open door. And, again, the, the, the very best thing for Tennessee would be Jeremy Pruitt figuring this out and learning on the job and going from there and – I think Fulmer knows that too, so hopefully that's that's what continues to happen. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of interesting that two five and seven seasons in four years uh, was enough to do him in, and we traded that for um, pretty much nothing but <laughs> five and seven seasons for many years in a row. Uh, anyway, um, back to this year, um, Jarrett Garantano. He uh, he got pulled against Florida. Uh, then he got put back in. So uh, for two weeks, we've had this question about who's going to play quarterback against Georgia. Most everybody just thought, well, you know, it's going to be Garantano now uh, that we uh, we pulled him and got, you know, got his attention, which is what we needed to do and all the stuff. But apparently uh, there is some growing chatter that uh, it might actually be uh, Maurer. Uh, my source on that is Will, again, paying attention to Twitter when I was – somewhere else uh so what what is where is that chatter coming from will and uh what, what are your thoughts on it well that and let me say that is not uh twitter that's that's some stuff at volquest uh oh, jesse's okay. a good point on volquest earlier today to say and volquest is great i'm a subscriber you should be a subscriber too. all that good stuff uh, but one point he was making is to say look we don't want to um the media doesn't get to see much of practice, so you want to take any practice observations with a grain of salt. But observing practice today, things seem to be trending a little more in Maurer's direction. 
uh, in terms of division of repetitions. And, and some of that may just be a, a package. Are they going to put in a package for him that is a little more um, athletic-oriented than what Garantano has? So uh, I don't know. I, I think, again, from from the narrative of the season and all that stuff, you can't hit the reset button at this point if you're Pruitt on this year, but you can at least just reignite some interest and some curiosity. Even if he looks bad against Georgia, anybody might look bad quarterbacking this team against Georgia right now. So really, if we're talking about Maurer, the question for me is, how would he look next week? How would he look against South Carolina? Tennessee needs wins. I just don't think you can say... If you're still trying to get to six wins, if you're trying to make this season matter, if you're trying to spark something that could carry forward into the future, you need to beat Mississippi State. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's there's it's an even more lost cause if you subscribe to that school of thought of let's hold him out until South Carolina so he doesn't have to play Alabama. Um and, and I just don't know – I don't think anybody knows what to think of Garantano at this point. I, I mean, the sort of uh, – some of this, too, is, is message boardy stuff, but just the growing kind of assumption here that it just doesn't seem like him coming back to Tennessee next year is in anybody's best interest at this point. The sense that he could graduate and transfer and, and go somewhere else, um, it's shocking to me that we're talking about that here in, in the – first week of October, but you know, the, the idea that Garantana would be the starting quarterback at Tennessee next year, which he technically has the eligibility to do, uh, that seems far away from anybody's radar right now. So we've talked plenty on this podcast about Crompton and about other turnarounds uh, in the past. And I would love to see that from him, but um, they're, they're, we don't see a lot of signs pointing in that direction right now. I'm still holding hope that uh, that's what's going to happen. Um, I might be the only one, <laughs> but uh, that's kind of what I want to see. Did did you see it? Um, there was a paywall thing at 247 with Wes Rucker uh, interviewing the uh, Georgia 247 guy, I guess. Did you see that piece? I did not see that. Okay, so it, it was really interesting. Uh, kind of funny, too, by the way. If you have access, you should go read that one. Um but one of the things that uh, really jumped out at me was uh, he, he asked the question, you know, what do you do uh, to try to try to beat Georgia? I, you know, every team has some vulnerabilities. What, what's the thing? And he goes, well, I don't know. You know, uh, it seems like um, when we struggle, it's against mobile quarterbacks. No team ever says, I'm really glad to play a team whose quarterback can run. Right. And I, I don't know, really know whether that's true or not, but the Georgia beat guy for 247 thinks that. So that might be one reason why uh, they might want to go with Maurer, Maurer, Maurer. Maurer is what I keep saying. Maurer. That does that doesn't make it right, but I think that's Brian Maurer. He'll tell us three years from now if we're mispronouncing that's it. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> that was not worth more wins, as it turns out. <laughs> it was not. Um, so... Uh, and, and, and the other thing I think about this, you know, it's like uh, Josh Ward's podcast, uh, which as long as we're plugging it, last week we plugged The Athletic. You really need to subscribe to that. Will says you need to subscribe to VolQuest. I'm telling you right now, you need to listen to Josh Ward's podcast every day. Um, 
it's 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 great stuff. Although he did say something this week that I thought he was kind of rough on uh, on Pruitt, um, basically refusing to name a quarterback, saying we're not going to give Georgia a scouting report. And his point was, well, that's going to help, right? But the thing is, Pruitt's trying to win. You know, when it, even if you aren't going to win, you still want the guy to try to win, right? And I got this theory about Pruitt that he doesn't know how to play not to win. He doesn't know how to play like an underdog. He, he just doesn't have that, that mindset. And I think that's why maybe uh, you see these huge uh, score disparities um, like, like we haven't seen. Uh, part of that is because we're bad. Okay, I'll concede that. All right. But I think part of it is also is that he doesn't, you know, say, okay, well, how can I keep this close into the fourth quarter so we can maybe sneak out a win? I don't think he thinks like that. And so, you know, if he thinks uh, a mobile quarterback is where Georgia might be weak, and, you know, he's got Georgia intel, right? He knows Georgia. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. So if he thinks that that, that might be a way to, to score an extra touchdown or something and maybe actually make a game of it, that might be what he's trying to do. So – that's my theory. I'm going to stick to it and I'm going to uh, delete the podcast uh, if it turns out to be wrong. So <laughs> I think, um, you know, if, if we're a year from now having this conversation about Jeremy Pruitt or having a conversation about who's uh, Tennessee needs a new coach, who's that coach going to be? And we do the thing that we always do, which is we pendulum swing to the other side. Yep. The, the, that pendulum swing next time will be, we need someone that knows how to grow a program knows how to take a losing thing and make it a winning thing. If that happens, we're going to talk a lot about Will Healy that's at Charlotte right now that was at Austin P. which, by, by the way, uh, that's Tennessee's opening opponent uh, next season. Uh, so <laughs> that's not one you want to lose if you're Jeremy Pruitt because uh, folks will be talking about that guy for a while. But anyway, something like that. Same way we talked about Pruitt. We need someone that's been in the SEC and understands – the expectations, the way Butch Jones didn't knows what it's like to develop five-star talent, all that stuff. Um, yeah, I, th I think the Florida game last year is proof about Pruitt. I mean, he said outright that the reason they lost by 26 and not 19 is because he played a goal line defense there to try to create a, a stop that Florida just went to the outside and scored a late touchdown. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think there's some truth in that, that he doesn't know how to win as an underdog. Um yeah, I, I'm, and I'm trying to think of, of games. I think his conservative defensive nature can play into that a little bit in terms of getting a lead and then you know milking the clock and hanging on to it and that sort of stuff. Uh, he's a big fan of the onside kick last mm -hmm. year, which also, if it doesn't work, is is a very risk-reward situation. Uh, so, yeah, you could be on to something there. I will say, too, as we're talking about quarterbacks and I've been thinking about <laughs> – do you know what I think the phrase in the podcast I was trying to think of that the uh, the translator has so much fun with? Do you know what I think it is? What's that? It, I think it's Jerry Garantano. So, <laughs> okay. so it just goes to show like how much we're just kind of writing off, or at least I am, just kind of writing off this guy who has just been the quarterback here at a not fun time to be at Tennessee. And, and uh you know, if he does end up transferring or going somewhere else, uh, man, I hope he does awesome uh, and does great because this is this has not gone the way anybody thought it would. No. Um, so 
in search of maybe just a little bit of hope, um, I was hoping that maybe you could uh, help us remember 2009. So my uh, feeble old memory uh, is that even as late as the Georgia game, uh, we were still sort of reeling um, from some disappointment and the fact that we thought we had a quarterback who couldn't throw a, couldn't complete a screen pass, right? And uh, we were heading into the Georgia game, uh, basically not hoping for anything positive to happen, and we got something totally unexpected. So I was wondering, can you and your uh, vault of a mind sort of remind us of that story? Did I get part of it wrong, or how, how did it all go down? No, we touched on this a little bit uh, the last time. That Crompton, um, I think, similar to what we're seeing with Garantano now, folks were out on Crompton going into 2009 because he had struggled, along with Nick Stevens and B.J. Coleman, struggled so much with the claw fence in 2008 there was just the assumption that he could not get it done. And then when Tennessee couldn't beat UCLA in a game, everyone said was important on the way in, you know, knew, knew it from miles away, how important it was to win that game and your defense played lights out, but Tennessee could not just couldn't do it and turn the ball over and all that stuff. Uh, I think everybody, we were waiting for Nick Stevens. You lost to Florida. You, you were ugly kind of in a win over Ohio. You lost to Auburn by four. Um, but Kiffin was steadfast. Never, never, Nick Stevens never sniffed an opportunity. Uh, and then that Georgia game, yeah, I mean, the, the sort of story on that now is that they just took half the field away from Crompton and said, all right, you're going to deal with this. We're simplifying everything. You're going to deal with this half of the field. And Tennessee also had an excellent defense, and they had Montario Hardesty. Um, but uh, the first half in particular of that game I just remember saying it and writing it at, at Rocky Top Talk that at halftime, his stat line was like the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> That's your, like, just don't look at it because it was so unbelievable that it would just melt your face off. Uh, and, and, you know, he stayed hot the rest of the game. Tennessee wins that game 45 to 19. And then he, he simultaneously had the ability the next time at Alabama to not get them beat. That's that's a game where you could tell right away, even though Alabama's ranked number one or two or whatever they were, that Tennessee's defense was going to keep them around, and it did. And Crompton, they wanted him to do the mistake-free stuff, and he did. And, and then he hit the one big throw, I think, to Luke Stocker, right, right before that infamous field goal that was blocked. Hit one big throw to put him into, into field goal range. That didn't work out, obviously. Uh, and then, you know, bounced right around and beat South Carolina right after that. He uh, and and after that, you know, they give up a ton of points to Ole Miss. It's not really Crompton's fault. Uh, they play a good overtime game against Kentucky, where they get the win in that game. And then they run into an extremely underrated Virginia Tech team in the Chick Fil A Bowl, and uh, they lose. And then. 12 hours later is when we get four Tennessee basketball players arrested for uh, guns and drugs in a car. And so that story kind of goes away. And then Kiffin leaves, you know, nine days after that. So um, that was, that was a tumultuous, a tumultuous time uh, at, at Tennessee. But yeah, again, I think we're talking about 
I mean, truly one of the most surprising things that I have ever seen. But the the other one to me that I think is more um, just that Crompton game is, is probably the most surprising individual performance that I've ever seen. So I don't know that we want to hold that up and say, maybe that'll happen again. Um, but I would go back to Dobbs. If you think about Dobbs in 2014 against Alabama in Knoxville, where Worley has been knocked out for the year again, you've got Peterman who starts that game, plays a couple series, doesn't do anything. Alabama scores touchdowns with Kiffin as the offensive coordinator. Bama scores touchdowns on their first four possessions. We're down 27 to nothing at the end of the first quarter. And you're thinking, I was at that game and I'm thinking, you know, these guys could score a hundred if they want to. And that's, that's just the reality of the situation. And then Dobbs, just all of a sudden was a revelation and Tennessee ends up only losing against the Jeremy Pruitt defense only loses 34 to 20 running quarterback. Uh, yeah. And, and um, you know, just very, very solid uh, all the way through. Uh, I mean, just, just really surprising the way that Tennessee handled uh, that, uh, that entire thing. And one thing to remember too, Dobbs, uh, other than Peterman, no one has ever looked worse than Dobbs uh, when he played against Vanderbilt the last game of his freshman year. When Tennessee had to have it to get bowl eligible, uh, Dobbs was awful. I mean, it made me think this guy will never be the answer at, at Tennessee in the last game of that 2013 season. Um, turns out that was wrong, too. He was a freshman. Uh, so you don't know. It's just with Garantano, and this, I guess, is where he was more similar to Crompton. We just have so much data already, um, and there hasn't been it, – it's been regression instead of progression. So, uh, you know, I, I don't uh, – if that shows up Saturday, that'd be wonderful. Uh, but I, I'm, I, I just don't know. I, I don't have warm fuzzies about it showing up against Georgia, and I don't have a lot of warm fuzzies about it showing up against Mississippi State either. Well, I'm going to edit that last part out because that isn't where I was going. <laughs> yeah. So 20, 2014 uh, Alabama, that that was in the midst of, you know, Saban's Alabama, right? So really good team. They didn't win the national championship that year, uh, I don't think, at least if I got this right in the uh, magazine. That's uh, Ohio, State, <laughs> Ohio State, I think. Yes, good job. Um, but how, how good was, was Georgia in uh, 2009? I mean, they're they're number three this year. Well, what, what – I, you know, because you, you said it was a huge surprise. We weren't very good. I'm assuming we weren't ranked at the time. But how good was oh. Georgia in, in 2009? Why was it such a surprise? So Georgia, let's see. Georgia would have been – Georgia was number one in the country preseason in 08. They wore the black jerseys and got killed by Alabama that year. Uh, and then in nine, I'm going to say – I don't have my tablet in front of me to look this up and be sure. I think in nine, they lost to South Carolina early and that's caused some, Oh no. And that sort of stuff. So no, I, it wasn't a, it was not a top 10 Georgia team uh, or anything like that. In fact, I think the South Carolina team, Tennessee beat was ranked higher than them. Uh, I think that's the highest ranked team that, that Kiffin beat was Spurrier's team. Um, but still you, e even then a Georgia team, that okay we've lost games is Rick still the guy that sort of experience um I think one thing about Tennessee then too is 
Tennessee smoked Georgia in 2007, the year that Georgia finished uh, number two, and Tennessee smoked them in the second half in 2006. Uh, that's why I didn't like. There's a story on the Athletic I think this week about Georgia. You know, the time this rivalry turned in 2010 when both teams were bad, and then Georgia rolled uh, Dooley's team. At the week after we lost at LSU for putting a thousand men on the field at the, at the end of the game, but this was a one possession game from 2011 through 2016. So the last two Dooley years, it was a one possession game, and the first Butch year, it was the the Smoky Gray Pig Howard fumble game. Then it was a one possession game in Athens the next year. Then Tennessee won in 15 and 16. So uh, I I get under Kirby Smart. Uh, Tennessee needed a Hail Mary to win it all and then got waxed in 17 and and pulled away from in the fourth quarter last year. I get that, but I, I don't buy the notion that, well, this rivalry really turned in 2010. I, this was just a really competitive rivalry for seven years there, or six years there in the middle. Um, that sounds like it was not Ubbin. No, it was the Georgia, Georgia yeah, rider. Yeah. Uh, but... Um, all right. So yeah, it's, I mean, it would have been typical again, Tennessee fans of a certain age. If you were like me and you grew up when Tennessee was putting it on Georgia every year in the nineties, there's still a part of us that's like, we should beat those guys. Um, but you know, that is obviously not dealing in reality right now. Yeah. So I, I don't think this game is going to go well. Um, I, you know, but the thing is I'm trying to brace against drawing too many conclusions from it. That's my, my whole sort of frame of mind going into this game is that even if you totally you look the worst you've looked all season long which is saying something um i don't i don't know that you can really say that it's anything other than having to play georgia um i mean things are just not um not positioned well for the Vols on Saturday. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. I actually put the head-to-head uh, stat rankings up uh, this morning. It's the first time I've done this. And uh, Tennessee is 113th on first downs offense, and Georgia is 7th in first down defense. Um, for, on fourth down, we're 116th, and they're 21st. And it's only slightly better on third down, where we're 71st, and they're 18th. So uh, we don't have stats for second down, but I'm guessing they're not very good either. (laughs) So, well, yeah, I mean, this, this may take on the flavor of a significant percentage of the Alabama games of this decade, where even in, in years when Tennessee uh, was interesting and, and, and uh, the season was interesting overall and Tennessee was able to get bowl eligibility and things like that. Uh, the the like 2010 2000 uh 2013 butch's first year like a lot of times when you just get killed by alabama you just we've just kind of looked at it and been like all right next like i'm not looking at this to pull a lot of detail about it or anything like that so yeah i mean it may turn into some of this uh some of that this saturday is to just say okay you know georgia won uh by 31 uh, okay, next. I, I will say the advanced numbers like Tennessee a little better. That spread was games in Knoxville, so it's 24 and a half, something like that now. Uh, I know S&P is like 20. Uh, so, again, how, how do we get there? 
is it like last year where Tennessee is within two possessions in the fourth quarter and Georgia tacks on one late and then Tennessee fumbles and Georgia tacks on another one? I mean, that's what happened last year. But, uh, you know, I, some of it depends on how we get there. But, yeah, I can buy the idea that if Tennessee just gets smoked and not in a self-destructive way but just in an obviously this team is a lot better than us way, then, again, I think we – then I think this time next week we're talking about – Let's see if we can learn anything different against Mississippi State uh, and and just carry it forward from there. All right, freestyle time. Anything you want to bring up? No, going to the Braves on Friday night. Uh, as, as we talked about beforehand, you uh, Tennessee has taught me you should never use the phrase, I'll just go next time, uh, <laughs> because you're, no, your next times are not guaranteed. So uh, uh, if I die this weekend, it's because my – Cardinal superfan in-laws have murdered me at SunTrust Park uh, when the Braves <laughs> did something good and I tried to celebrate it. So uh, in celebrate your sports teams. Uh, we've been saying for years, going back to the Conzo Martin days, you don't don't miss opportunities to celebrate. Uh, so uh, for the percentage of fans listening to this who are also Braves fans, uh, much to celebrate uh, this year so far and hopefully much beyond this weekend. And I, again, for Tennessee, unless – two quarterbacks get hurt or, uh, you know, something really unusual happens, which, hey, I mean, we're, we're no stranger to really unusual. Uh, next week going to be a going to be an important week. I mean, it's a big week next week for for narratives and, and all that stuff uh, where I think we can actually say something about the outcome as opposed to this week. So I feel like uh, you can't no one's playing with house money when you're one and three. But in terms of Pruitt and, and quarterbacks and all that stuff, uh, we're going to get a good data point against Mississippi State, it looks like. So we'll, we'll see what happens then. So I think there are a lot of uh, people listening that uh, actually do keep up with the Braves. But for those of us uh, who don't, what is the nutshell? What are they doing? The Braves? Yeah. They're, they're awesome. So this is the first round of the playoffs, uh, the Braves and the Cardinals. Uh, game one is tomorrow night. Game two is Friday night in Atlanta. Unlike last year when the Braves played the Dodgers in the first round and the games were at like 8.35 and people with children are asleep by the third inning. Uh, this is this is actually the Braves play at 5 o'clock tomorrow and 4.30 on Friday. It's good for adults. But um, – they're just fun. Uh, you know, anybody that's watched this team all year, they have some bullpen adventures. But they're Ronald Acuna Jr. and, and uh, Ozzie Albies and a lot of these guys are fun and young. And Atlanta has not won a postseason series since 2001. So uh, high time to, to get that turned back around. So, yeah, just, just you know, in, enjoy, celebrate that that's worth celebrating. And, and don't miss opportunities to do so. And I hope that happens for one of my sports teams this weekend. And basketball is coming. Uh, end of the month. Yes, uh, it's it's coming as fast as it can. Uh, it's it will get on. here. Hold on, I'm coming. Yeah, it it's uh, it's gonna get here. Uh, the uh, Will West had a poll on Twitter earlier tonight about um, Tennessee plays an exhibition basketball game on October 30th. Who will win next, the football team or the basketball team on October 30th? Uh, so if you're taking uh, if you're taking basketball that means you think Tennessee is going to lose to both Mississippi State and South Carolina um, which could happen so we could we could have a basketball victory before we, before we have a football victory in which case we're going to talk about basketball a lot on this podcast <laughs> the rest the rest <laughs> of this uh, 
season. But yeah, there's there's not much. Uh, that basketball schedule is loaded, and and so some of those basketball conversations may be about, oh my gosh, we're four and two. Is is Rick Barnes should he be fired or whatever? Because <laughs> not having Grant and Admiral and those guys did not keep Barnes from scheduling. We we play Washington in Toronto. That is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. Is Tennessee and Washington getting together? Like, what is the farthest point from both of those schools in the, and not just in the United States, but in North America? Is it Toronto? <laughs> Let's play there. All right. So, uh, that's that's all coming up. Uh, could get a shot at Purdue uh, in uh, uh, at, over Thanksgiving for a little revenge. Uh, Penny Hardaway in Memphis. Penny Hardaway had an interview today with The Athletic where he said Memphis is going to win the national championship this year. Ooh. The team was put out of the NIT in the second round last year. They're going to win it all this year. Like, oh, basketball, going to be fun, going to be awesome, coming as fast as it can. You know, I've heard uh, that uh, Philip Fulmer is actually working behind the scenes to uh, submarine Rick Barnes so he can get on the sidelines of the basketball court. Right. I don't think if he, I don't know if he specified football coaching career is, uh, is right. he left know, that door calls. open. Tune in next week at Calhoun's on the river and, uh, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> All right. That will put a wrap on this episode of the game day at Rocky top podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating, give us a review, uh, bonus points. Mm, you got a secret phrase for the bonus paint bon- bonus points. Jarrett Garantano. Jarrett. Yeah, right. So you just want to see the uh, yeah see the robo transcriber mess it up. Yeah. Again. All right, Jarrett Garantano. Jarrett Garantano. Jarrett Garantano. See if it gets it wrong uh, three similar ways all in a row. All right. So for uh, Will Shelton, I'm Joel Hollingsworth, and this has been the Game Day on Rocky Top podcast. <laughs>